Section 38 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 4. Thursday, November the 27th, 1664. The examination upon the subject of the grants was resumed today. The Chancellor kindly endeavoured to drive Monsieur Fouquet to extremities and to embarrass him, but he did not succeed. Monsieur Fouquet acquitted himself admirably. He did not come into the Chamber of Justice till eleven o'clock, because the Chancellor made the reporter read as before, but in spite of this parade of justice, he said the worst he could of our poor friend. The reporter always took his part, because the Chancellor evidently leaned to the other side of the question. Footnote, the reporter was Monsieur Dormesson, one of the most respectable magistrates of his time, back to main text. At last he said, here is a charge to which the accused will not be able to answer. And here, sir, said the reporter, is a plaster that will cure the weakness. He made an excellent justification of him, and then added, In the place in which I stand, sir, I shall always speak the truth in whatever form it presents itself to me. This allusion to a plaster called forth a smile from the audience as it reminded them of the one that has lately made so much noise at court. The accused was then brought in. He only remained an hour in court, and on his leaving it, Monsieur Domisson was complimented by several persons upon his firmness. I must relate to you what I myself did. Some ladies proposed to me to accompany them to a house exactly opposite the arsenal, where we could see the return of our poor friend. I was masked. Footnote. It was still the custom for ladies to wear masks when they met abroad, a custom which is retained in Corneille's plays, and which was brought from Italy by the Medicis, with many other customs equally disagreeable. These masks of black velvet, to which the loup succeeded, were intended as a preservative to the complexion. Back to main text. I was masked, but my eye caught him the moment he was in view. Monsieur d'Artagnan was at his side, and fifty musketeers about thirty or forty steps behind him. He appeared thoughtful. The moment I saw him, my legs trembled, and my heart beat so violently that I could scarcely support myself. In approaching us to re-enter his dungeon, Monsieur d'Artagnan pointed out to him that we were there, and he saluted us with the same delightful smile you have often witnessed. I do not believe he recognised me, but I own I was strangely affected when I saw him enter the little door. If you knew the misfortune of having a heart like mine, I'm sure you would pity me, but from what I know of you, I do not think you have much the advantage of me in this point. I've been to see your dear neighbour, I pity you as much at losing her as I rejoice at her being with us. We've had a good deal of conversation upon the subject of our poor friend. She has seen Sappho, who has considerably raised her spirits. 
Footnote. Sappho, Mademoiselle Scudery, sister of the author, known under this name by an unfortunate fertility of imagination, a woman who had more wit than her writings display, though they display a great deal, back to main text. I shall go there tomorrow to recruit my own, for I often feel the want of consolation. It is not that I do not hear a thousand things that should inspire hope, but, alas, my imagination is so lively that everything which is uncertain destroys me. Friday, November the 28th. The court opened early this morning. The Chancellor said he had now to speak of the four loans. Dormisson observed that it was a very unimportant affair, and one upon which no blame could be attached to Monsieur Fouquet, as he had declared from the beginning. An attempt was made to contradict him. He begged leave to explain the matter according to his own view of it, and decide his colleagues to listen to him. The court was attentive, and he convinced them that it was a very trifling business. The accused was then ordered to be brought in. It was eleven o'clock. You will remark that he has never been more than an hour upon this edit. The Chancellor still wished to speak of the loans. Monsieur Fouquet requested he might be allowed to state what he had admitted the day before respecting the grants. Leave was given him, and he said wonders. The Chancellor asked him, Have you had your acquittance for the employment of the sum? He replied that he had, but that it was conjointly with other things which he had marked, and which will come in their course. But, said the Chancellor, at the time you received these acquittances, you had not incurred the expenses. True replied Monsieur Fouquet, but the sums were set apart for the purpose. This is not enough, said the Chancellor. Pardon me, sir, said Monsieur Fouquet, when I gave you your appointments, for instance, I sometimes received the acquittance a month beforehand, and as the sum was set apart, it was exactly the same as if it had been paid. That is true, said the Chancellor. I was much indebted to you. Monsieur Fouquet replied that he had no intention to reproach him, and that he was at that time happy to serve him, but the circumstance had occurred to his mind as an instance in point, and he could not help making use of it. The court has closed till Monday. They seem determined to prolong the affair as much as possible. Dot, 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 has promised to give the accused as few opportunities of speaking as he can. The fact is, they are afraid of him. They would therefore interrogate him summarily and even pass over some of the articles. But he is determined that they shall not do this, nor would he suffer them to judge his cause without his being permitted to justify himself upon every separate head of accusation. Puis dot 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 is in continual apprehension of offending Petit. He excused himself the other day by saying that Monsieur Fouquet had certainly spoken too long, but that he had no means of interrupting him. C.H. dot 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 is constantly behind the screen whenever the examinations take place, 
he hears all that is said and offers to go to the judges and explain the reasons by which he is led to draw such opposite conclusions. All this is irregular and shows a great inveteracy against the unfortunate prisoner. I own I have no longer any hope. Adieu, sir, till Monday. I wish you could see my heart. You would then be convinced of the sincerity of a friendship which you profess to prize. Letter 5, December the 1st, 1664. Two days ago, everyone believed that it was intended to protract Monsieur Fouquet's affair as much as possible, but now the reverse of this appears to be the case, and the interrogations are hurried over in a most extraordinary manner. This morning, the Chancellor took his paper and read, as he would an inventory, ten heads of accusation, without giving the accused time to reply. Monsieur Fouquet said, I do not wish, sir, to prolong the business, but I entreat you to give me time to answer the charges that are brought against me. You question me, but it appears as if you did not wish me to reply. But it is of consequence to me to speak. There are many articles I must explain, and it is but justice that I should answer to all those which are formally alleged against me. The court was then obliged to attend, contrary to the wishes of the ill-disposed, who could not bear to hear him defend himself so ably. He answered extremely well to every accusation. The trial will now go on, but will be conducted so rapidly that I expect the examination will close this week. I have just been supping at the Hôtel de Nevers. The mistress of the house and I conversed a good deal upon this subject. We are uneasy to a degree which you only can comprehend, for I have just received your letter. It surpasses even my own feelings upon the subject. You put my modesty to too great a trial in asking me upon what terms I am with you and your dear recluse. It seems to me that I see him and hear him say what you tell me. I'm quite piqued that it was not I who metamorphosed Pierrot to Tartuffe. Footnote, the Chancellor Segway's name was Pierre. Back to main text. It was not I who metamorphosed Pierrot to Tartuffe. It was so natural if I had half the wit you ascribed to me, it would have flowed mechanically from my pen. I must relate to you a little anecdote which is perfectly true, and which cannot fail to amuse you. The king has lately employed himself in making verses. Mrs. de Saint-Aignan and Dangeau put him in the way of it. He wrote a little madrigal the other day with which he was not much pleased. One morning he said to Marshal de Grandmont, Monsieur le Maréchal, read this little madrigal, if you please, and tell me if you ever saw so silly a one. Because it is known that I have lately been fond of poetry, they bring me all the nonsense that is written. The Marshal, having read it, said to the King, Your Majesty is an excellent judge of everything. This is certainly, without exception, the most silly and ridiculous madrigal I ever read. The king laughed and continued, Must not the writer be a great fool? 
There is no other name for him, said the marshal. Oh, said the king, how delighted I am that you have spoken your sentiments so freely. I am myself the author of it. Ah, sire, what treason have I uttered? I entreat your majesty to give it me again. I read it hastily. No, monsieur le maréchal, the first sentiments are always the most natural. The king was very much entertained at this little frolic, but those about him thought it the most cruel thing that could be done to an old courtier. For myself, I love to make reflections, and I wish the king would reflect in like manner on this adventure, that he might see how far he is from knowing the truth. We are upon the point of experiencing a still more painful instance of royal delusion in the repurchase of our rents, at an expense that will send us all to the workhouse. The emotion it occasions is great, but the hardship is greater. Do you not think this is undertaking too much at once? The loss of a part of my income is not the point that affects me the most. Tuesday, December the 2nd. Our dear unfortunate friend spoke for two hours this morning, but so uncommonly well that several persons could not help expressing their admiration. Among others, Monsieur de Renard said, This man, it must be owned, is incomparable. He never spoke so well in the Parliament. He maintains his self-possession better than he has ever done. The subject was the six millions and his own expenses. Reader's note, Fouquet had been Procurator-General of the Parliament of Paris, back to main text. Nothing could exceed what he said. I shall write to you on Thursday and on Friday. These will be the last days of the examination, and I shall go on to the end. God grant my last letter may contain the information I so ardently wish. Adieu, my dear sir. Desire our recluse, Arno, to pray for our poor friend. I heartily embrace you both, and for modesty's sake I include your wife. In continuation. Tranquillity reigns throughout the family of the unfortunate Fouquet. It is said that Monsieur de Nesmond declared on his deathbed that his greatest sorrow was that he had not accepted to these two judges, that if he had lived to the end of the trial he would have repaired his fault, and that he prayed God to pardon his error. Monsieur Fouquet, as I observed before, spoke today two complete hours upon the subject of the six millions. He commanded attention and performed wonders. Everyone was affected in his own way. We saw made gestures of disbelief and disapprobation that shocked every honest man in court. When Monsieur Fouquet had done, Monsieur Puisseau rose impetuously and said, Thank God it can never be said that he has not had his belly full of speaking. What say you to this speech? Was it not worthy of a judge? Readers know Puisseau, whom Madame de Sévigné has been identifying as Puy, dot, 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 was the uncle of Colbert, Fouquet's rival, back to main text.
It is said that the Chancellor is very much alarmed at the erysipelas that occasioned the death of Monsieur Nesmond, fearing that it may be a repetition of the judgment in store for himself. If the apprehension could inspire him with the sentiments of a man about to appear before God, it will be something. But it will be said of him, I fear, as of Arcante, Emore come vise. He died as he lived. Footnote. Gerusalemme liberata, Canto 19. The verse runs thus. Moriva Arcante e tal morea qual vise. Back to main text. Wednesday, December the 3rd. I have received your letter. It has proved to me that I have not obliged a person who was ungrateful. Nothing can be more kind, nothing more gratifying. I must be wholly exempt from vanity to be insensible to such praises. I assure you I am delighted at the good opinion you entertain of my heart, and I further assure you, without meaning compliment for compliment, that my esteem for you infinitely surpasses the power of ordinary language to express, and that I experience real pleasure and consolation in being able to inform you of events in which we are both so interested. I'm very glad your dear recluse takes his part in them. Suppose you would make them known also to your incomparable neighbour. You gratify me extremely in telling me that I've made some progress in her heart. There's no one in whose affections I would more gladly establish myself. And when I would indulge in a little gaiety, I think of her and, and her enchanted palace. But I return to business, from which I have been insensibly led to tell you of the sentiments I entertain for yourself and your amiable friend. Monsieur Fouquet was upon the sedette again today. The Abbe Defia bowed to him as he passed. In returning his bow, he said to him with the same enchanting smile we have so often observed, Sir, I am your very humble servant. The abbe was so much affected that he could not speak. As soon as Monsieur Fouquet was in the chamber, the Chancellor desired him to be seated. He replied, Sir, you took advantage yesterday of my placing myself upon the sellette. You infer from my doing so that I acknowledge the authority of the court. As that is the case, I beg leave to stand. The Chancellor then told him he might withdraw. Monsieur Fouquet replied, I do not mean by this to advance any new objection. I only wish to make my protestation as usual, and the charge being cited against me, to be permitted to reply. This was agreed to. He then seated himself, and the examination respecting the pension of the Gabelles was resumed, to which he replied admirably, If this mode continue, the interrogations will be favourable to him. The spirit and firmness he displays of the subject of a general conversation at Paris. He has asked one thing of a friend which makes me tremble. He has entreated him to let him know his sentence, whether favourable or otherwise, in some private way, by signal, the instant it is pronounced, that he may have time to reconcile himself to his fate before it be announced to him officially, adding that 
if he has half an hour to prepare himself, he shall hear without emotion the worst that can be told him. This has made me weep, and I'm certain it will affect you also very painfully. There were few persons at the examination on account of the Queen's illness. She was supposed to be dying, but is now somewhat better. Yesterday evening she received the viaticum. It was the most affecting and solemn spectacle that can be imagined, to see the king and the whole court going for the holy sacrament and conducting into the palace. It was received with a profusion of lights. The queen made an effort to rise and took it with a devotion that reduced everyone to tears. It was not without difficulty that she had been brought to consent. The king was the only one who could make her listen to reason. To every other person, she said, she was very willing to receive the communion, but not the viaticum. It was full two hours before she could be prevailed upon. The general approbation that is given to Monsieur Fouquet's answers is very grating to Petit Dot. It is even thought he will engage Puy Dot 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 to feign illness in order to interrupt the torrent of admiration and to have time himself to take breath at this and other instances of his ill success. I am the most obedient servant of the dear recluse, of your lady, and the adorable Amalte. Footnote Petit is a feigned name, meant either for Letelier or Colbert. With regard to Puit dot dot dot, as from the sense of the expressions he must be one of the judges against Fouquet, there is little doubt that Puissot is the person alluded to, and what is said of him in the preceding letters must be so understood. It may further be remarked that the conduct of Colbert and Letanier in this business was extremely well characterised by a criticism of the great Turenne, who interested himself warmly for Fouquet, to someone who blamed the violence of Colbert and praised the moderation of Latelier, Turenne replied, True, sir, Monsieur Colbert has most desired that he should be hanged, and Monsieur Latelier most fear lest he should not be. End of section 38